It is easier for an eye to go through the keyhole when the hands of the clock are tied to the floor. But the hive of eyes still bites the rope when the nightlight burns in Madame Grove. If you think that you know pain too well, I invite you to think again. Many of my inhabitants imagine pain as a heavy, gigantic, indivisible monolith. Probably very similar to the one in the movie 2001. Probably very similar, since my inhabitants resemble apes in their appalling lack of spiritual nuance. But they are also extremely familiar with their very own strand of pain, definite, historically recurring, magnetic. It is easier to hide a monolith somewhere, maybe in the basement, maybe behind a glowing door, and try to go about your day. The problem is that you may have two or even three extremely differentiated types of pain. So they start behaving like two stray cats fighting for their territory in the damp, sun-deprived alley that is your brain. Not to mention the kinds of pain that are fleeting, transient. The pains you casually meet in an unusual situation leaving you to awkwardly decide every time you run into them whether to acknowledge them or not. But regardless of how disgracefully you handle them, they usually end up moving on, jumping from head to head like some overactive type of lies. You may be wondering why I am so insistent in talking about the multiplicity of pain tonight. And it is for a very disappointing and trivial reason. It is because nothing demonstrates and resurfaces the never-ending spectrum of pain. Nothing inscribes and coordinates all the little pains into an ominous symphony of horror like the holiday season does. And believe me, an old misanthrope building like me gets shaken to its very core when the holiday insanity starts spreading like some obnoxious, trendy new word. Let me start explaining to you the kind of odors that I have to put up with around here. Remember Jimmy, the kid watching TV and his watering father? Well, a good thing is that for once, the smell of boiled cauliflower stops. Jimmy's father is convinced that foods that resemble the human brain in some capacity stimulate intellectual power and dominance when cooked in an unsavory and extremely plain way. Boiled cauliflower and rock-hard frozen walnuts are usually the daily choice. But for the holidays, Jimmy's father prefers to tragically put together a mass of spaghetti seasoned with watermelon gum and ketchup. 
Let's go into apartment 18, where culinary crimes and generalized bad taste suck the joy out of the living, and especially of one living boy who lives for TV, Jimmy. Jimmy is carefully watching a cooking show in which a huge tofurkey is being made. The host is sculpting an 80-pound block of tofu into something turkey-shaped. The host makes an awkward joke about the tofurkey in question, slightly resembling the Venus of Milo. Son, you haven't touched your spaghetti brains. You will regret this. Next time that little scoundrel outsmarts you in the football field, you are going to come back home crying to me. Papa, Papa, why is everybody smarter than me? And I will have to tell you, son, because you are dumb. That is why. And here I am, putting the solution to your intellectual inferiority in front of your very eyes. Brain-shaped food. And you refuse to acknowledge the old warrior tradition of eating your enemy's organs, or in their absence, foods that are shaped like them. You have to be ready for the ultimate cosmic war. Are you listening to me? Why don't you turn off the TV and start playing Candy Crush with your tablet like a normal kid? Cooking is the task of a warrior. It is done with stamina, dominance, and despair. Cooking shows are for draft dodgers and the feeble-minded. Ah, the smell. And what to say about the gruesome display of odd holiday paraphernalia that is seasonal decor. The rotting pumpkins, the acidic cider, and the harvest nonsense. The horn of plenty around here is just a stolen traffic cone in seasonal orange, of course, that the rebel teenage girl in apartment 3, Ariadna, stole from the street. Tonight, she's wearing a dress made out of yellow do-not-cross tape. She made sure to cross someone or somewhere anytime she saw that tape, and then she took it with her as a trophy. Oh, what is that smell? There is something burning somewhere. Why do I have to stem this? I, who once upon a time, being a glamorous hotel, hosted the kitchen of a high-standard restaurant. And these days I have to put up with the smell and sight of Bill the Janitor's smart-sized kitchenette, in which he is presently cooking a sad feast with several gruel-like substances covering every shade of gray. Oh, Bill and his delusional sense of community. I think he may be hosting some type of strange gathering in the basement later this evening. That burning smell. It's coming from apartment 19, where our cybernetic sex heroine dwells. I wonder what she's up to. Hey, handsome, what's poppin' tonight? Master Arson Booty 82. Nice screen name. So, it seems we have a lot in common. Booty and fire are hobbies of mine, too. 
I was just burning these Bible pages for ambiance. Works better than incense, in my opinion. Mmm, it's hot and sooty around here. Do you love soot? So powdery and dirty. Do you know that soot is made of impure carbon? Yes, that's it. My favorite type of carbon, impure, from the incomplete combustion of organic material. Oops, I got some on me. What a fool I am. I better rub it in. Ash works wonders on the skin. <coughs> Ooh, sorry. Did you know about the wonderful properties of ash? This sexy residue is very useful. Ash can be used as fertilizer, compost, and in the Far East, pottery. Mm. Ashes and pottery. Wouldn't you like to see me play with ash and a potter wheel? Shaping and reshaping with my gray fingers, like this. I feel you looking at me. I feel your gaze embracing me while I work at the potter's wheel. I feel that your gaze is Patrick Swayze and I'm Demi Moore in the movie Ghost, teaching me how it's done. Mmm, you are potent. You could enter me even from the other world and help me with my pottery. What? You haven't seen Ghost? Unbelievable Master Arson Booty 82. <coughs> anyway, I have a big surprise for you. Just like you requested in that disjointed email. Remember? Come to the bathroom with me. Ta-ra! I've been smoking cigarettes nonstop for three weeks. And finally, I was able to save enough ash to fill the bathtub. I'm going to take an ash bath just for you. Mmm. Gotta love the texture. Rub it in. Rub it in. I'm gonna smell like a chimney. Like a long, narrow chimney. Santa wants to know, have you been a good boy this year? Ho, ho, ho! Well, Santa was a bad idea. Some people are still traumatized from the serial Santa of 96.
ashes, the aftermath of a beautiful hypnotic fire. That's what my life is. I guess at least I have to be thankful that some of my inhabitants are accepting of their social ineptitude and are not causing too much fuss about it, going about the holidays without altering their monotonous lives. It is time that I tell you a secret, a rather embarrassing one for that matter. I have an inhabitant that hasn't left me, this building, for almost six years. Normally my inhabitants come in and out of my body, giving me a cyclic release much similar to going to the bathroom. But this particular one never leaves and Honestly, it's starting to feel like a gold stone in my kidneys, which are in apartment 21. <clears throat> uh, Mr. Ravenport? Here you have your daily gallon of vodka and that Benadryl you asked for. Uh, Mr. Ravenport, I just wanted to let you know that you're still invited to this informal gathering in the basement today. If you feel like coming down, it would be an honor to have the best poet in the county among us. Hell, I'm cooking dirt meal. Come on down, Mr. Ravenport. Don't be a stranger, all right? <sighs> oh, well, all right then. I'll leave the goods outdoors. Hell, I guess that's what you call a lone wolf. Mr. Ravenport's nose appeared to make sure the coast was clear. He grabbed his so-called groceries and hurried back inside. The worst kind of poet. That is the worst kind of poet. A poet who doesn't write. A poet who swallows their own language every morning diligently like a shot of poison. What the doctor ordered, a shot of the silent poison. When words are produced, but they can't leave the mouth, they eventually turn sour, rotten, but they can't escape from the mouth. The words make their way back down the hatch, contaminating every human organ. What the doctor ordered, a shot of silence, a shot of poison. Rat poison. The words don't come out. They turn you into a rat, eventually. The poison turns you inside out, eventually. You don't produce. You don't talk. You don't write. You become your own waste. You go down the drain. Down the toilet. Rat poison. Eventually, rat. In your sewer kingdom, your sewer queen, you'll see, we all see, we all can't but see, not talk, in the silent sewer, the inner rivers of waste in the sewer, the inner rivers, that is the contaminated bloodstream, the bloodstream is poison. 
the bloodstream of the poet. Need a transfusion. That's it. Need a transfusion. What the doctor ordered. Bad poet. Bad, bad poet. Remove the words out of me. Surgically remove what the doctor ordered. Bad poet. The worst kind. The party in the basement is in its full swing right now. Three guests sit in opposite sides of the studio, looking into their drinks, while Bill sets the formica table. The girl with the do not cross tape attire, called Ariadna, is among the guests. Well, I have an amusing story. The other night I was sleeping. Nice and cozy with serrano pepper slices on my eyes and my favorite overnight acupuncture gear on. And I was having one of my favorite recurring dreams, the one where I'm at the Louvre, tearing apart the Mona Lisa. Right as I was about to stab Mona in her pretentious, smirking eyeball, I woke up. And who do I see, sitting on top of my dresser, looking at me with the bright round eyes of an owl, literally holding them in his hands? It was Victor, of course. I sense a slight annoyance in your tone, which is highly hypocritical since you were the one that left your door unlocked. A door that is left unlocked means that I'm being invited in. I wouldn't dare to cause the commotion of breaking in, but an invitation mustn't be ignored. In fact, if anyone is to blame for the incident, it would be you for leaving the door unlocked. What were you expecting? I can't help myself when it comes to following the guest code and you should... <clears throat> All right, friends. Food is ready. It's time to say grace. Thank you, Lord, for the food we're about to receive and for the nourishment to our bodies and souls, a nourishment that lately has been scarce, to say the least. Not pointing any fingers at anybody, dear Lord, but a little improvement in that department would be much appreciated. Heavenly Father, bless this dirt meal and bless our friends who have come to dine with me today. Bless Victor with some much-needed boundaries and respect. Bless sweet child Ariadna and her dreams of mayhem and destruction. God damn. And bless our friend Lola, who is a mighty fine lady with some serious wits about her. And provide her with an endless amount of perverts that would pay to see her through the personal computer. Something that you've been doing quite well lately. And Lord... Please don't let this nasty building fall apart, as I'm sure she wants to. And don't be stingy with the cats. We do need them for sanitary reasons that shall remain unspecified. Amen. Amen. So, did anybody else notice that there is a door glowing? Yeah, the room at the end of the storage corridor. I noticed it on the way down. That's ironic. Our slumlord said that was the tanning salon back in the 80s, but the tanning cabins kept locking from the outside. There were several casualties before they shut it down. Such a shame. <gasps> oh, dude. Oh, who are you? Well, I'll be goddamned. Not you again, boy. You better get your ass off this property unless you got something good to say to me. We'll better leave it here for tonight. 
let's give some privacy to my inhabitants while they continue their particular shows of affection, thankfulness, and loving spirit. I will contact you soon with instructions, dear listener. Expect a message not far from today. It will be delivered to the corner of your eye. Thank you for listening. Autumn Grove is written by Martin Nunez and produced by Brandon Jackson. Additional voice talent for this episode was performed by Shay Mossifan, Brooke Mossifan, and Ryan Vu. Um, also, a special thanks to Alex Murphy, Jesse Kay, Derek Lawrence, and Michael Bachelman. Uh, Michael actually did some original artwork for the show, and we really appreciate it. You can see it at our Facebook page. Um, just search for Autumn Grove Pod. Um, so we want to thank you for listening, and episode three will be coming to you very soon. Thank you.